Hello, this is the Learning, Teaching and Assessment in Higher Education podcast from Sheffield Hallam University in the UK, and my name is Andrew Middleton. In this podcast, I'm talking with Rob Appleyard from our Faculty of Health and Wellbeing. Rob is an academic there, and he's currently conducting research in the use of immersive virtual environments in relation to anatomy. I'm interested to hear what Rob has to say about immersive virtual environments as Sheffield Hallam is about to invest in establishing its own facilities. So Rob, can you tell us about um, your work and uh, what you're doing with 3D virtual environments? Okay, well it started off as some collaborative work with uh, the Department of Computer Science at the University of Hull who'd been sort of probing around looking at how to use virtual reality and specifically immersive visualisation environments to support radiotherapy education and training. And it was my colleague Pete Bridge who was originally involved in one of the initial projects which uh, involved developing a virtual linear accelerator for practical skills training for some for radiotherapy students. And we did an evaluation of that and one of the things that well, we found quite a few things but uh, the key findings were really that the students found it a very realistic um, representation of the real world environment. Uh, now one of the most important aspects of this was to make the system mimic real life and to do that we used a, a real pendant, a real handset from a linear accelerator so we had to we worked with a company called Varian who provided with us, us with the handset and we linked that up to the immersive environment. So the students felt like they were using a real linear accelerator uh, and, and they found that very very realistic. So for people who haven't encountered any of this sort of technology before, what, what are we talking about here? What does it look like? Is it, is it a room or is it a PC? Or There's lots of different uh, virtual environments. I mean, you could divide virtual environments up into immersive environments and what I would call desktop virtual reality. Um, desktop virtual reality tends to be 3D representations on a screen. It's quite straightforward to achieve. It, it's um, it's easy to disseminate around. It's available on the web, uh, but it's not particularly immersive. Um, by immersive, we tend to to mean uh, full stereoscopic visualisation, uh, ideally with tracked movement, so that the the view that's projected onto a screen or a multiple world environment moves according to the user's perspective, uh, and it's and it's full 3D stereoscopy. Now there are different ways you can achieve that. You can achieve that with very expensive multiple world environments called K's or cubes, of which there aren't that many in the world, or you could use large single screen walls. Um, which tend to be a little bit more popular and can be very effective, particularly if they're big and the, the user stands fairly close to it. Yeah. Uh, or you can uh, you can subdivide that further into different ways of projecting this. It can be there's different technologies that are available using act, what was called active stereoscopy or passive stereoscopy. Active stereoscopy uses LCD shutter glasses. And so you have two images projected, which are timed according to the LCD shutter glasses that you wear. Or you can use a much more straightforward system called passive uh, stereoscopy, which uses polarising uh, 
uh, filters projected onto a non-depolarizing screen, which is a lot cheaper. Uh, used to be not so good, but now it's very effective. And specifically, the system at Hull that you've been working with, what was what, uh, that look like? That's a big auditorium, uh, and it's a rear projection onto a big screen, which is about 5.8 by about 2.5 metres, and it uses active stereoscopy. So you wear these quite bulky, quite expensive LCD shutter glasses, uh, but it is very, very effective. You stand on a small stage in front of a screen, and you have the image projected out to you. And how many people actually experience the immersive environment in one go? Depends how you use it. If you want to use tracked um, projection then it's only really good for one person uh, the person that's wearing the, the, the tracked shutter glasses so that means they're interacting with the uh, yeah. 3D yeah, representation definitely, yeah. Yeah. although you don't need it to be tracked and one of the advantages of not having tracked is that you can have multiple people involved in a learning and teaching activity um, which is one of the things that we did with the virtual linear accelerator that was not tracked um, we had a, an independent user that was me who actually moved the view according to what I thought the individual who was involved in the, in the practice wanted to see so if I got it wrong they'd tell me how they wanted it moved so it was very effective but one of the problems with that is that it can in, in a few people create a bit of nausea and disorientation if they're not used to this it's a little bit like sort of fairground rides been in these uh, 3D mm. fairground rides in these little pods. I hate them. Make me feel yeah. very sick. Yeah, same here. <laughs> How are you hoping to apply this technology? I mean, you're, you're studying it. Yeah, my my PhD is looking at a particular application that is using this for. Uh, it's evaluating immersive environment f- uh, to see whether it's useful for enhancing spatial awareness of anatomy how structures, anatomical structures, relate to each other in the three dimensions. So in healthcare professionals, that's very important. Uh, it's all very well being able to learn uh, gross anatomy at a macroscopic level, but what's really important when it comes to clinical applications is that the individuals can appreciate how these structures relate in three dimensions. And, and that, that, that is something that you really couldn't achieve no. people, in any other way. People with good spatial ability... Mm. Uh, a good spatial awareness and a good understanding of anatomy can build up this 3D mental map in their head quite straightforward just mm. from standardised key views in textbooks fortunately not many people are that good at that right. so it's a, a particular challenge this is one thing that virtual reality and specifically immersive visualisation environments are very very good at is getting learners to understand get a feel and appreciate complex 3D phenomena it's not very good, it's, it's, it's a pointless exercise to use virtual reality to teach basic concepts, basic knowledge, 2D phenomena. There's, there's no advantage there, all the literature points to that. But where it is very good is looking at 3D, complex 3D phenomena. Uh, the rationale for my particular PhD work, which is looking at, um, at structures within the brain, is that there's been very little work that's been done on this. What it is is quite contentious, there's been different approaches, people have... Uh, come up with different results uh, and there's been nothing that's specifically looked at immersive visualisation environments for this which is so we've been involved again with Hull uh, in, in the process of developing 3D models of the brain uh, and we'll compare that with the sort of things that are already available to students which might plastic anatomical models.
the word immersive seems to be really important here. But in terms of exploring, um, it can be a, that can be a bit of a red herring, really. Yeah, I was um, wondering about exploring a three D representation and how important it was, if I've got the, the word right, you know, to be immersed within that. How that can actually aid the learning or maybe as you say it is a red herring the word the word immersive in this context refers to the degree of presence that you feel in the environment and and by that i mean physical presence Mm. that you're you're in there and you really feel that you're part of that physical environment and then it can become very effective that's not to say that you can't get a degree of presence i.e psychological presence from any other learning and teaching strategy yeah, you know, if you're yeah, yeah. if you're in a good lecture, you're immersed in it, and it's and it becomes more effective. You can read a good book, you become immersed in that. But that's psychological presence rather than physical presence, and it's quite difficult mm. sometimes to separate them out. But typically, you're more immersed in the environment if it's a full stereoscopic, three D projection, uh, and it's large, and it surrounds you, and there's nothing else in the way, um, and you're it becomes a sort of hybrid environment and something else that's very important in these immersive environments is that the input devices for the users are intuitive or at least quasi-intuitive so that or they're realistic mm. they mimic what you're going to have to use in real life flight so, simulators great example flight yeah 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 uh, surgical skill simulators again same thing so it brings the a degree of authenticity yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, but you don't always need that. So, for mm. example, with the brain model, what we used was a track 3D pointer that you would use for a PowerPoint presentation um, uh, and, and adapted that. So it's very easy to use. You don't have to learn how to use it. That's another advantage of these sort of environments is that you take away, you, you minimise the amount of time that students have to learn mm. how to use the application. So basically, in terms of teaching them how to use the, uh, the 3D model of the brain, it took a few seconds. Give them the pointer, you say, if you want to rotate it, press that button and move it around. If you want to point at something, find out what it is, you press that button. That's and once it. you've done that, you're straight in there, yeah. handling yeah. the subject matter almost yeah. literally. Yeah, and you can you can almost, there's a degree of play in there as well, uh, and that you can let them say, well, okay, you know, as long as you give them some guidelines, and what we're doing with the, the brain model is, we, you know, I'm saying to them, you've got 10 minutes, and in 10 minutes, I want you to be able to explore this model, identify what these you know these list of structures find out where they are and what they are within the brain just by exploring uh, but more importantly use the model in 3D to find out how these structures relate to each other in three dimensions that's it so you've been using the whole facility <laughs> yeah and you've been taking students over there or, yeah 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 student, students from Hallam yeah 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 and, and they've engaged with it and I mean are, are yeah. there some people that have taken to it more than others or yeah I mean the, as expected um, they enjoy it it's very engaging there's a high wow factor uh, and they think it's wonderful as opposed to the plastic anatomical models which are boring and frustrating to use and fall apart in your hands and you have to cross reference to um, a little book alongside it and they find that very dull uh, so it's not unexpected I think that they, they enjoy it um, now we've undertaken a pilot study which at the time didn't show any statistical difference between the two groups, those that used the immersive model and those that used the plastic model, although there were some promising trends. Uh, mm. It was a fairly small sample, there was uh, 30 to 35 students in the sample. Uh, and there were some minor limitations in the methodology which we've been able to iron out as well. Uh, and all of these students had not actually at that time of the pilot undertaken any study on uh, the anatomy of the central nervous system. Um, 
but there were still some promising trends in that those that use the immersive visualization model when we tested their 3D um, anatomical understanding of the brain afterwards they, they did twice as well as the students in uh, the, the improvement the degree of improvement was twice as good in the immersive group as it was in the control group um, so it was approaching significance I would imagine anyone listening to this may be starting to think this sounds interesting I, I could be using it you know I teach in the area of health as well or yep. science or design you know yep. most of the uh, disciplines I can see yep. uh, would uh, start to uh, get interested in this but how about getting set up for it? I mean, you're talking about this brain model. Yep. What's involved in locating or creating these 3D models? Well, that's, that's the thing, isn't it? The, uh, the actual hardware itself is relatively expensive, but it's useless on its own. Yeah. You can end up spending uh, £50,000 probably on a fairly straightforward uh, but effective system and you get all the hardware set up but you're going to have to spend the same sort of amount on developing the content and the applications so A, there's a two pronged approach really, A that you need um, someone the academics and the uh, those involved in learning and teaching to appreciate where this technology, what this technology is good for, i.e. In enhancing understanding of complex 3D phenomena and deciding where it may be integrated into learning and teaching strategies and then working alongside those people with the uh, software generation skills to, to sort of come up with this. Um, so with the anatomy, one of the things that we're thinking of doing with the, the PhD project is considering using the, the data that's available through the Visible Human project downloading that and segmenting that data to create a 3D model. So, so you can find open source data. Yeah, it's available for anyone. You just have to apply for it and download it for free and then you can use it as you want. Um, but there's all sorts of other things you could do. If, if you were considering something in architecture or design, then you could use a 3D laser scanner to create your data and then input that into some 3D modeling software. Right, from yes. And I would imagine that even though this uh, equipment is pretty expensive but I would imagine that that we have design students or there's going to be a, a demand for people to design this stuff um, in, in the professional world yeah. Yeah. so uh, there could well be an opportunity here at Hallam for mapping some of our design students 3D design students to Most definitely, projects yeah. involving yeah. this sort of technology yeah. and that those skills will be valuable you know uh, beyond. yeah without a doubt yeah, yeah. I mean, there is, there's, you know, I think the key things are sort of developing an understanding of what it's good for and what it's not good for. You know, enabling students to practice in a safe environment where they can learn from their mistakes. Um, that it focuses on 3D phenomena, you know, where students, where it's typically difficult for students and educators to get a decent understanding of complex 3D conceptual mm. stuff. I mean, it can be very, very good there. It's all about, I mean, it's just, you can do anything really. It's just the time and the effort that's involved in creating the applications yeah. and the software that you want to use. Excellent. Well, uh, it's getting quite exciting, and uh, thank you very much for talking yeah. to me. Thanks, thank Andrew. So, thank you very much to Rob Appleyard from our Faculty of Health and Wellbeing. We will be covering more on this subject in weeks to come. If you would like to get in touch with the podcast, then email me at lta-podcast at shu.ac.uk 
or you can visit the show notes at http colon forward slash forward slash ltapodcast.blogspot.com. Thanks very much for listening.